0: wonderful singing tonight. If you'd open your Bibles to Micah chapter 6, please. Micah chapter 6. We'll be looking tonight at verses 9 to 16, 9 to 16, which say this, The voice of the Lord will call to the city, and it is sound wisdom to fear your name. Hear, O tribe, who has appointed its time. Is there yet a man in the wicked house, along with treasures of wickedness, And a short measure that is cursed. Can I justify wicked scales and a bag of deceptive weights? For the rich men of the city are full of violence. Her residents speak lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Now we get in a section now that we're going to read, I will versus you will. Watch what happens. Verse 13, so also I will make you sick striking you down, desolating you because of your sins. You will eat, but you will not be satisfied, and your vileness will be in your midst. You will try to remove for safekeeping, but you will not preserve anything. And what you do preserve, I will give to the sword. You will sow, but you will not reap. You will tread the olive, but will not anoint yourself with oil, and the grapes, but you will not drink wine. The statutes of Omri and all the works of the house of Ahab are observed, and in their devices you walk. Therefore, I will give you up for destruction, and your inhabitants for derision, and you will hear the reproach of my people. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your precious word and your people who are here tonight to partake of it. We pray that you would Use this evening hour to instruct us and encourage us and challenge us and to educate us, Lord. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. I read an article this week, What's the Best Way to Discipline My Child? That was the title of the article. It was an article that was produced by the American Academy of Pediatrics, and it talks about how to discipline a child, and here's what it said, don't physically spank a child don't yell at a child, don't use the word no, except for important issues. Talk about choices, talk about expectations, teach and model what was right, show love, and it'll work. It won't work. God did all of that. He did all of that for his people. It didn't work. In fact, let's set the context here. God basically said to his own people, I have a legal case against my people. He said, I can call the mountains and the hills to testify of my own people. And then he asked, what did I ever do to you that prompted you to do so much evil? And then God says, answer me, answer me. So the people did answer God and said, well, what if we start bringing a bunch of offerings to the temple? Will that do it? Will that calm you down? I mean, suppose... We bring just bunches of offerings and we offer them to you. Will that stop your anger against us? And Micah says, you don't get it, do you? You don't get it. The problem will not be solved by physical religious actions. Your problem is not going to be solved by bringing offerings or making a bunch of physical sacrifices. Your problem is you don't own up to your own sin and you refuse to start obeying my word and turning from your sin. So after Micah had laid all of that out, he wraps up this chapter by saying, God has a case against his own people, and if they don't reverence him and his word, he will chastise them and destroy them for specific things they are not facing. Now, many commentators don't like this text, they jump over this text, or they take the position, well, God would never do that to New Testament believers. This is just a passage that's written for Old Testament Israel, for the Old Testament dispensation, the Old Testament economy. But then when you read 1 Corinthians 11.30, in which Paul says to the church, for this reason, because you're not dealing with things and facing things, many of you are weak and sick and a number of you sleeper or dead. When you read 1 John 5.16 that says, there is a sin that does lead to death, Or when you read Revelation chapter 2 and you see Jesus Christ's words to the church of Thyatira in which he says to the church, I'll kill your children with pestilence. We certainly can say God does seem to teach in the New Testament that he will chastise his people if they refuse to obey him. He does seem to say that. Now, according to verse 9, the voice of the Lord will first call to the city and the people before it destroys them. The voice of the Lord will call to the city. That's Jerusalem. That's the big time city. It's the city of government. It's like the Washington, D.C. of Judah. It's the central place of government. You have big business there. You have a lot of religion there. And God says, I'm specifically sending my agents there. And my agents are there to communicate my word before I destroy you, because I'm going to destroy you. You are on a path of destruction. And because you will not listen to my word, I'm going to destroy you. God's people would be very wise if they feared the Lord. In fact, he brings that up. It is the sound of wisdom to fear your name, O tribe, who has appointed its time. It's time to fear the Lord. And when you fear the Lord, it's time to face up to what you're doing and turn from what you're doing. And when people fear the Lord and they hear the word of God, they realize, boy, that's sound truth coming to us. And we better take it very seriously. That's what God calls his people to do. Why does he call them to fear him? And why does he call them to obey him? Because chastening judgment is about to hit him. And if you know God's judgment is coming, I mean, if God comes to you with a message like this and said, I'm specifically telling you, unless you deal with your sin, I'm going to come and cause your world to collapse. If you don't do anything about it, you're a fool. And here's the problem with most of God's people. It's the big problem with God's people in any dispensation. They don't reverence God. They don't reverence his word to the point that they think they need to take it seriously. They look at the word of God and they just say, well, it's a choice. We'll obey it. We'll not obey it. We'll pick and choose. So what Micah does here is he calls God's people to listen to what God had to say. They had heard of the chastening judgments of God. God says, you don't realize how close you are to getting this. And there are two simple messages that Micah communicates to the people. Number one, he tells the people what they were doing. Verses 10 to 12, it's not pretty. H.A. Ironside said what they do here is, Micah gives them an itemized list of the sins that really had angered God. Here's the case that God has, and I remind us all, this is a case he has against his own people. Four facts he brings out, four sins we could say he brings out. You have wicked people doing wicked things in their houses. That's what he says in verse 10. Is there yet a man in the wicked house, along with treasures of wickedness, and a short measure that is cursed? This not only refers to individual houses, it refers to God's temple. In fact, God calls his temple his house, and he calls it a wicked house. Now, Jeremiah describes what they were doing. Wicked people are found among my people. They watch like fowlers lying in wait. They set a trap. They catch men like a cage full of birds, and their houses are full of deceit. Therefore, they become great and rich. So what was actually happening in the houses of people is they're planning wicked stuff. These people are going home from worship services at the temple. They're going back to their own homes, and they're planning and plotting wicked schemes so they can get more and more. They're stockpiling, as the text says, treasures of wickedness. After all of the warnings and the messages that Micah preached, there was yet wicked people living in their houses in wicked ways, not doing a thing about it. They would just go and continue on living the way they were living. Ah, We don't have many problems. We seem to have enough. We're rich. We've got everything we need. In fact, we've got stuff we have by taking it from others and hoarding it. They had used, as you'll see in just a second, wicked means, unjust means to get what they had. And they're coming under a curse of God. And God says to them, you don't understand what you're doing here. You are wicked in your homes. I see what you're doing. You're about to pay for what you're doing. The second sin that he mentions, or the second fact, is you have wicked thieves and cheaters who steal. Verse 11 says, can I justify wicked scales and a bag of deceptive weights? There are people, ladies and gentlemen, that deceptively steal to get more. They have frauds and scams and cons. They've come up with deceptive means to try to steal things from people. But probably the most disheartening thing of all is when an employer would steal from his employees. It's estimated that some employers have figured out ways to scam from their employees about $3,300 per year from every employee. They figured out ways to steal. I'm talking about modern times here. I'm not talking about back in Micah's day, because he's describing they were doing that back in Micah's day. They were just shading things. They knew how to play the numbers. They knew how to actually pad their own accounts by taking things from other people. You know, 5 to 10 percent of shoplifters are the only ones caught, which means 95 percent or 90 percent of shoplifters get away with it. Well, Leviticus makes an interesting statement. You shall do no wrong in judgment, in measurement of weight or capacity. You shall have just balances and just weights, just epheth and just hin." I'm the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. What God says is, I want honesty, I want integrity in business relationships. And he says to his own people, you want me to accept your offerings? You want to bring your offerings to me when, in fact, I know how you got those offerings? You got those offerings through your deception. You cheated people. You stole from people. I'm not going to accept that. You could bring me millions of dollars, but you got those millions of dollars by false means. I think there's a serious warning here to people who are in business. If you are entrusted with a business that's been given to you by the Lord, you don't want to be cheating people who work for you. You don't want to be robbing them, because if you cheat people in business, you're going to anger God. That's exactly what these people were doing. They were using scales, and they were tipping the scales, so they could just pad their pockets a little more, cheating people of what they had coming. God said, I see this. This is going on with my people. I see this. The third fact is, you permit rich people to use violent means to get more. Verse 12, for the rich of the city are full of violence. You know, that ID channel has a lot of murders on there, and most murders are for money and insurance. When you get right down to it, most of the murders that are committed are due to people wanting the insurance money. These people here were beyond cheating to get more. They were open to being violent people. Now, we're living at a time when wealthy people will promote at times, evil, violent actions, because in the end, it'll get them more. There's a philosophy out there that basically says, never let a good crisis go to waste. So when something bad happens, you jump in there and see if you can add fuel to it, because if you can add fuel to it, it can actually get you more in the long run. God says, do you think I'm going to justify you? Do you think I'm going to reward that? I cannot justify wickedness like that. I'm not going to justify deceit. I'm not going to bless people that do that. These people had used violent means to take things from people. They threatened them. They stole from them. They're not going to receive my blessings. There are violent groups in this country that are funded, and they are actually paid to do horrible things. God says, I can't bless a nation like that. I cannot bless a nation like that. And I won't bless a nation like that. He says, you have used violent means, and I'm not going to bless you. You're on the verge of my judgment. Which brings us to the fourth fact. You have many people who are liars. Verse 12 says, and her residents speak lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. You'd think this was written today. Who in the world can you believe? The people had become liars, they'd become deceitful people, they were schemers and liars, they wanted to bend things, shade things their way so they wouldn't tell the truth. Their mouth was filled with deceit. No one here was interested in God's truth, no one's interested here in doing what is right. We're not far from that. You can't believe the media. You can't believe what they tell you. You scratch your head and go, is this the true, is this not true? And I can give you a great illustration of this. This happened about a year or so ago. Well, maybe two years ago. But President Putin from Russia was giving a speech. And there was someone who was translating it and saying what he was saying to the American people, what he was saying in the speech, and someone from our church knows Russian and was listening to exactly what President Putin was saying. They were lying to the American people. They were not translating what he was saying. They were telling him just the opposite. We're living in a world, ladies and gentlemen, and you have to wonder, does anybody tell the truth anymore? We're living in a world of liars. God says, when a nation reaches that level, they're on the verge of collapse, and they're on the verge of my judgment. Which brings us to his second point. Micah tells the people what God's going to do to them. In verses 13 to 16. God doesn't delight in punishing his people, but he will do it. God says, when my anger reaches a certain level against my own people because they've played fraudulent games long enough, when I've put up with enough and I reach a boiling point, I'll tell you, here's what I'm going to do. It's the I will, you will section. I'll tell you what I'm going to do, and I'm going to tell you what you're going to do. And there are 12 responses that God presents here. The first one is, I'm going to make you sick. That's what he says in verse 13. So also, I will make you sick, striking you down. All of the verbs that are used here in this verse are hifil stem in Hebrew, which means God's going to cause this. So what God is basically saying to his own people is, I'm going to literally start taking away your health. That's what he's promising them. I'm literally going to make you sick. The word is "kalat," which speaks of I'm going to make you weak and sick, and I'm going to make you diseased. In other words, I'm going to allow diseases to actually come in to start killing people. It's serious language here. I mean, I'm dealing with what the Hebrew text says here, serious language. I do not believe the coronavirus was a coincidence the coronavirus and all these other viruses that are cropping up are still under the umbrella of the sovereignty of God. I mean, it's like God saying, I'm getting sick of the world. I'm getting sick of what's going on there. And when we mentioned, when you read 1 Corinthians 11, 1 John 5, Revelation chapter 2, God makes the same kind of statements to the church So this is not just an Old Testament teaching, this is also a New Testament grace teaching that if his people or a nation gets so out of line that they're no longer interested in what's right and true, he can basically say, I'm going to start making people sick and I'm going to drop them. And that's exactly what he says. That's why he says, you better fear me. You better fear my word because I'm going to make you sick. Secondly, I'm going to strike you down. That's what he says in verse 13, striking you down. Again, <laughs> hiffel stem. God says, I'm going to cause you to be struck down, which means I'm going, to, I'm going to kill you. That's typically the word that's used here for strike down. It's used a lot in the Old Testament when God would kill an enemy, destroy an enemy. And God himself is promising to do that to his own people. He's basically saying, I'm going to let you get hit with the same kind of thing I would do to an enemy. I'm going to send my chastising judgment on you. You have walked away so far from my word. You're no longer interested in my word or will. So I'm going to make you sick. And I'm going to also start striking you down. Thirdly, I'll make you desolate. In verse 13, desolating you because of your sins. And again, fills stem. And what that particularly means is God says, I'm going to cause my own people to be destroyed, brought to utter ruins. I'm going to leave people astonished at what they're going to see that I'll do. They'll be stunned by what I do. And I'm doing this, and I'm pointing out why I'm doing this, because of your sins. These were religious people. They went to the services. They took their offerings, and they looked the part. I mean, they really knew how to play that religious game, but they weren't facing sin. They weren't dealing honestly in their lives with things before the Lord. God says, I'm going to hit you. I'm going to hit you hard with a series of chastisements. I'll make you sick. I'll strike you down. I'll make you desolate, and I'll never let you be satisfied. In verse 14, you will eat, but you will not be satisfied. God basically says, I'll never let you enjoy life. God gives us great things in life to enjoy. That's what Paul said. God gives us good things in life to enjoy. But the same God who gives us good things in life to enjoy can make it so that we don't enjoy anything. The same God who has the ability to bless us is the same God who can curse us, the same God who can actually make it so that we don't enjoy anything of what he's given to us. And that's what he's basically saying to these people. You're not going to have any joy at all in life because I'm not going to let you have any joy in life because of how you've demeaned me and my word. The fifth response is God will permit vileness to exist in their midst. He says in verse 14, And your vileness will be in your midst. Do you understand what he's saying here? God's saying, when I allow vile things to exist among my own people, it's a judgment. When I allow my people to see vile garbage, dirty things, when I allow them to be in a world where they're seeing that and experiencing that in their own midst, That's a judgment from me. I want to read you something that was written by James Montgomery Boyce. Here's what he wrote. The people will eat but not be satisfied, store up but save nothing, plant but not harvest. Third, it will result in derision and scorn of the once favored nation by other peoples. Each of these elements can be seen in contemporary America. But of the three, the most evident of all is frustration. Within the memory of at least half of the Americans living today, there's a remembrance of this land as a land of opportunity and high ideals. Here was freedom's home. Here were unending personal possibilities. Here was progress measured in tangible things like safe homes and good schools and abundant jobs and fair prices. An individual could plot Our advance year by year and decade by decade, in those days we were proud to be Americans, but things have changed in less than a lifetime. The conditions of our national life have been so altered that nothing seems to work any longer. Our economy is struggling. Our military has proved to be inadequate to several challenges. Prestige abroad has plummeted. And within a national life, once marked by moral standards and high inspirations and aspirations, it's become a cesspool. People do what they wish without regard either to God or man. Our cities are dirty and unsafe. Crime abounds. Structures collapse. Perversions flaunt their evils in our faces. This is precisely what God told Israel would happen to the favored nation. Israel's case may be our case. He wrote that in 1986. 1986. And look where we're at in 2023. That vileness has escalated because this is a nation that's heading to and under the judgment of God. The sixth response is, God will not permit them to be preserved or protected. That's what he says in verse 14. You will try to remove for safekeeping, but you will not preserve anything. And what you do preserve, I will give to the sword. God says, you people who've refused to face up to things, you're going to try to run, get away from this. You're going to try to hide out thinking you can get away from this. Judgment's never going to touch you. You can actually come up with a plan to try to protect yourself. God said, I'm going to track you down. You weren't honest with me, I'll come after you. God says, I'll see to it that you don't get away. I'll see to it that you are destroyed. The seventh response is, God will not permit them to reap blessings. That's what he says in verse 15. You will sow, but you will not reap. You will tread the olive, but will not anoint yourself with oil and the grapes, but you will not drink wine. Now that has to do with the agricultural blessings that she could have experienced in that land. God says, you're never going to reap it. You're never going to enjoy it. I've given you that land. It's filled with olive trees and grapes. And you could have oil and you could have wine from grapes. I'll see to it you never get it. I'll see to it that you don't prosper. I'll see to it you never enjoy life. And then the eighth response is, I will cause you to walk in the statutes of Omri. Verse 16, the statutes of Omri and all the works of the house of Ahab are observed. And in their devices, you walk. Therefore, I will give you up for destruction, and your inhabitants for derision, and you will bear the reproach of my people. Omri was the father of Ahab. He was the sixth king of the nation Israel. He reigned for 11 years. From 885 BC to 874 BC, he was an evil king. Wealthy king, evil king. He was a king who built and made Samaria the capital of Israel. He was a materially prosperous guy, made a lot of money as king, but we read in 1 Kings 16.25, he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and he acted more wickedly than all who were before him. What Omri specifically did was he walked in the ways of Jeroboam, and what Jeroboam did was lead the people into idolatry that included immorality, and they made up their own system of worship. That's exactly what Omri did. He was a religious guy. Invented his own man-made system of religion. He came up with his own idolatrous way of religious thinking. He was rich, getting rich off it. He was very wealthy. The people followed him. He invented his own statutes. The people would follow him. They wouldn't follow the word of God. They'd follow that political leader. They wouldn't follow the word of God. God says, this is what you do. You obey things invented by men, but you don't obey me. You'll go through religious stuff, and you'll obey all kinds of religious stuff that's being presented to you, but you refuse to get serious about me and my word. Therefore, I'm coming after you. And it's just like today. The vast majority of people today love religion. They follow religion. They follow denominations. But if you say, are you real serious about understanding these books of the Bible? There's 66 books here given to us in the word of God by God. Are you serious about understanding them? Oh, no, no, no. No, no. We're serious about church, though. We're serious about religion. That's Omri. He creates things. He invents things. And people followed it. The ninth response is, God will also cause them to observe all the works of Ahab in verse 16 and All the works of the house of Ahab are observed. Ahab was worse than Omri, who was his dad. He was the most evil king Israel ever saw. From 874 BC to 853 BC, he had an evil wife. Her name was Jezebel, who not only stole from people, but led people to Baal worship and actually was responsible for the death of people. He was the political leader for 22 years, and never once did he lead people into the truth of God. I'm telling you this based on the word of God. When you see a nation, any nation, whether Israel or the United States, being led by godless, evil, corrupt people that don't care about God, they don't care about the word of God, they are promoting idolatrous, immoral things that are contrary to the word and will of God. It is a judgment of God, and that nation is heading to total disaster. That nation is heading to the devastating judgment of God. So God says to him, go ahead and follow him. Follow Amri in his religion. And you go ahead and follow Ahab and all of his schemes. You go ahead and walk in the ways you want to go. Because you're not listening to me. You're not serious about me and my word. So you follow them. Which brings us to the tenth response. I'm going to give you up to destruction. In verse 16 he said, therefore, there's a therefore right in the middle of verse 16. I will give you up for destruction. That's serious business consequential business. Because you're not serious about me and my word, God says, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of my people. I'm sick of your wickedness. I'm sick of the idolatry. I'm sick of your game playing. I'm sick of your immorality. So he said, I'm going to come after you. I'm going to destroy you. Not only that, but he says, 11th I'm going to make you targets of derision. That's what he says in verse 16, and your inhabitants for derision. I'm going to actually make it so people laugh at you. You're my family. You're my family. But you have so demeaned me, God says. I'm going to make it so people that aren't even in my family just make fun of you. I'll let them have a good laugh over you. God says, I'm sovereign over that. I'm sovereign over stuff. When God allows or permits godless people to look at godly people and just make fun of them and make fun of what they believe, God said, that's the form of my judgment right there. And then he says, I'll cause you to bear the reproach of being my people. At the end of verse 16, and you will bear the reproach of my people. God says, I am going to cause your world to fall apart. I've tried warning you as my children, I've been gracious to you. I've extended to you patience and mercy. I've appealed to you, please be honest in your relationship with me and deal with things, but you don't listen. So God says, that's what I'm going to do. This is a very serious passage of scripture because Micah basically says, God can bless his people. He can destroy his people. And wise are our those who fear him, wiser those who take the word of God seriously and apply it to their own lives. You be the remnant that takes God's word seriously and have a good, clean, honest relationship with the Lord, and he will bless you when he's destroying them. May we pray. Father, we thank you so much for your precious word. We thank you for your people who've come out to partake of it tonight. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who makes it possible for us to become your child. But we realize that once we're in the family, there's a couple of ways we can govern our lives. We can govern our lives in a way that's wise, that will lead to blessings, or we can govern our lives in ways that are foolish, that'll lead to cursings. Lord, it's really a simple option, a simple choice, and I pray we would make the right one. In Jesus' name, amen.